Anything's possible, though, because, you know, Bitcoin is money, so, you know, money talk, man. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, powered by Cointelegraph. What began as a small experiment is now a rapidly expanding ecosystem. As citizens of the internet, we expect to be able to send money over the internet as quickly and cheaply as sending an email. As citizens of the internet, we demand transparency. Here, we talk about Bitcoin, Ethereum, blockchain industries, fintech, and more. But we're not experts. We're just three guys in the Bitcoin community. And adoption is the only thing that matters. Hey there, people of the internet. Citizens. Citizens of the internet. Citizens of the internet. Good thing we got someone else to make that voice and not not y'all. Yeah. <laughs> Citizens of the internet. Um, shout out to Lil B for giving us our first introduction words like a hip-hop radio station. Hey, y'all, this is coming at you, TBP 100.3. That's what he would say if we had a radio station. I feel like he'd be a lot more charismatic and just be dumb. Say what now? He would would be more charismatic. Season 3, episode 12 of the Bitcoin podcast. So, (laughs) now that we completely fucked up our entire intro... (laughs) Are we going to get going? <laughs> I thought we were going. Oh, Corey, you should do the ads. Oh. I ain't doing ads. We should switch up. Yeah, you do them, man. I'll do ads, whatever. We're going to switch it up, everybody. Start, okay. I hope you're uh, Nobody yeah. listens to ads anyways. Corey, go. Give it a go. Hey, we're go, sponsored Corey. by Escrow My Bits. You know how that works? You sign up. You send some money. Somebody sends you some shit. When you get it, you say, hey, this is the shit I wanted. And you release the funds. It's that simple. 1% flat fee. Split it with a person. Done. EscrowMyBits.com. Escrow your shit uh, with EscrowMyBits.com. How about that? Um, and I'm glad I got to be as of right now, that. that's, that's it. We didn't, we, didn't get, we didn't get paid. So yeah, We're also sponsored by our hard work. Yep. That's it. <laughs> on the back. Yeah. All mm-hmm. right, well, <clears throat> let's dive into the show. What do you want to talk about today? What are we talking about? Well, for, well, the guest today is Ark, right? Yep. yep. Right. And Ark is picking up where the vaporware ball was dropped with sidechains. Um, like everybody, and I was so excited about sidechains when they first came out, and I saw this glorious world where the chains were talking to other chains and high functionality across the board and there was a better more functional world that was very very reminiscent of sir steven spielberg's minority report um but then side change just kind of fell off the map i feel like you once again are a little too hasty in which you think something's going to work like 
the idea of sidechains out a long time ago, and then everyone blew up about the idea of sidechains, but that never actually got implemented. And they're just now yeah. getting to the point where um, they where they're starting to get implemented, and their prerequisites that allow them to work, or what is being worked on right now. So like you, you can't have sidechains yet. Because Are they possible with the current protocol? No, not that I'm aware of. Huh? I think you need SegWit. See, uh, I think you need SegWit in order to have sidechains. I could be wrong. I saw this movie called Arrival. I could see the future, um, and that's the future that I saw. Spoiler alert: movie was terrible, by the way. Fuck but, you. Ooh, that's a different podcast. Fuck I, you. I, that movie was god awful. That shit was amazing. Care. Never mind. I'm not going to get into that. You're trolling me, sir. Wait a second. You guys said that was good, right? I was wondering who in my life told, said that was good. Because I went to go see it under those pretenses yesterday. And I was severely disappointed. I got oh. titanic Well, then you're dumb. No, I got titanic I was like, cool, Alien Invasion. What? This is a love movie? Fucking weak. Like, that's exactly what went down. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is a weak shit. We're not going to get uh, into that. Continue yeah, on spoiler the Bitcoin. Alert. Amy Adams does the future. All right, so let's talk about Bitcoin. Um, yeah, I was really excited about sidechains because you got to think if you have a security Bitcoin, you have functionality of Ethereum. Or security of Bitcoin, functionality of Zcash. Security of Bitcoin, functionality of whatever the fuck there is that's doing really well right now. You've got a system and a network that is built to take over the world in a very not-so-evil pinky and brain kind of way in a very like oh now we've got this thing that everybody dreamed of this global network that also is money that also does all these highly futuristic things programmable money what's right? the name of this network the network i don't know That's you know you're right question. so i'm going to say that you're right and that how you i would say i agree with you in your opinion, that you have this inter interoperability between all of the different blockchains or networks that are currently working. And Sidechains was a big proprietor of that. But there's a lot of other things that are currently being worked on that are trying to get to that same thing where you just have this almost like a foundation, a level zero before Bitcoin, Ethereum, Arc, Lisk, all these, all these different blockchains that allows mm -hmm. you to just interoperate between whatever you want. So like say say you want the smart contracts of Ethereum but you want the stability currency of of Bitcoin. You can just trade in between the two and, and take what you want from whatever blockchain that you want. That's currently being worked on. Like a Polkadot mm -hmm. was just released as a not even a proof of concept but like a not even a white paper, just an idea. Like so like that's in the future. That's not here yet. Sidechains mm -hmm. offer you the ability to try to spin up a network put in, and have a two-way peg between the token of that network and Bitcoin. So you can push your Bitcoin to the network and then take, your, take those coins out of those things and put them back into Bitcoin. So then you need to somehow incentivize people to run that network, so on and so forth. So it's somewhat of like an mm -hmm. interoperability underlying chain with Bitcoin. And that's not here yet. It was talked about, but it's not here yet. So it's, I don't know. It's like, it's hard to, it's, it's, 
we want all of these things. We hear about all these things and a year passes and we don't have them. And it's like, well, what the fuck? But yeah, man, we, we've talked about this before. A lot lineage. of stuff has happened in the past year and it's moving in the right direction. <clears throat> but this stuff is hard. This shit is not easy. And there's no yeah. manual or rule book to look into to say, like, oh, I do it like that. Because most of the people who do programming are stack exchange programmers. They they run into a problem. They Google it. They can't find the problem. They're stuck. They don't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And this is yeah. all new territory. So yeah, you can't Google this shit, right? You have to put on your thinking caps or work real hard and come up with a solution that you don't know if it's going to work or not. And so then you come to the problem of, all right, we got this new this new network or this new functionality to the network. Do we implement it into Bitcoin? Fuck no, because you don't want to break Bitcoin. You need a good way to try and test to see if what you've made is going to work with a large network that isn't going to even interfere with Bitcoin before you introduce it into Bitcoin or whatever network that's currently running that's doing well. And we're seeing kind of the ramifications of people introducing new ideas or changing things quickly with Ethereum, with all all the recent hard forks. So it's, it's, it's kind of like a, like, what do we, where do we go from here? Man, it's getting harder for people to get into Bitcoin right now. I think it's easier for people to get into Bitcoin, but once they realize that the depth is becoming deeper and deeper and deeper, like you can get someone into Bitcoin and they can use Bitcoin and they can kind of buy things with purse. They can send money to their friends. They can kind of get the the somewhat novelty of it. But the moment they start to dig, it almost gets overwhelming. That's what I'm saying. When we first got into Bitcoin a few years ago, you know, didn't we send lots of small transactions back and forth between wallets just to learn? And then when you practice with cold storage, moving funds, resecuring it, sharing Bitcoin with friends, demonstrating it. I mean, how could any newbie do this today? And the time it would take and the amount of transaction fees involved, it would be completely off-putting. And I think a lot of people would have given up and probably not look back at the current situation existed when it first started. Yeah, but it's it's like the way you on ramp somebody nowadays is different than when we got into it. Like for instance, uh, say I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna introduce it to my friend if I now find a use case for them where Bitcoin fits. Like say they're gonna buy something really big, and I'm like, hey man, you want to save some money? Just buy it on Purse. But if you're gonna use Purse, you got to use Bitcoin. They're like, well. How do I do that? It's like, all right, well, here's how you get 20% off of whatever it is on Amazon. And I'm not plugging Purse because they're an affiliation thing. I'm that's that's a legitimate reason to on-ramp somebody into Bitcoin is that if they want to save a bunch of money mm-hmm. on some big purchase they're about to make, they should probably just use Purse. And that's a good way to introduce them to what Bitcoin is, how it works, and why they should use it. But for the average American user, who gives a shit, right? It's not that mm-hmm. big of a deal. It's even hard to sell people on that discount, dude. It's really hard because people, when you say something like, yeah, man, I'll get you 30% off on that. They're like, what the fuck? Not every day is Black Friday, bro. And you're like, all right. That's not true. I heard that you can't even get those 30% discounts. I got 20% off these headphones. That's nothing special. 
You just gotta wait. The, the bigger the discount, the longer you wait. That's yeah, all. it took me. It took me a day. Sorry, it took me a one single day for this purchase to go through, and then I had them in a few more days. So, for a big purchase, if you're if you're a smart person, you're gonna research where to get the best price for it. And, and if you're patient, I just like the stance, like let the consumer say, "This is the price I want to pay." Somebody find that price for me. Somebody get that for me. And that is I like that innovative, but like. Most people don't give a shit, right? Not in America because they've been force fed. It's so funny. Like when I worked at Lowe's, hold on, let me look over my shoulder. I would like negotiate with people to get sales because people didn't realize that you can still negotiate things in America. You don't have to pay that price that's on the shelf. There is a profit margin for every single item in that big box store. The smaller the item, the bigger the profit margin. You can say, like, so I'd say, like, hey, that fridge, I know that's what the sticker says. I'll take a couple hundred off for you. Shit. I hope nobody at Lowe's heard me say that. Yeah, when but, I worked at Best Buy, the, the Monster Cables cost like $1.15 to manufacture, and they sell them for 50 bucks. Oh, Monster they, they Cables make, are a fucking joke. Yeah, they get they, <laughs> they make more profit off the cables than the actual like flat-screen TVs. Oh, for sure. That's yeah. where the markup is. Yeah. Lowe's wasn't bad at me because I moved weight, but still, I would I would play with those margins. I mean, people in America are just so used to being told and force-fed what they have to pay. And I think that may be like the the way that, that quote-unquote blockchain moves forward is that we have this, like most people over the past year, and I think this year will continue it and probably into next year, is we'll have this production of infrastructures, right? Everyone's making a platform. Everyone's trying mm -hmm. to make what people build on. And as you keep building out these different platforms and things that work that allow people to build things really quickly, you're going to start finding businesses that take advantage of these platforms and then make business models that make them money. And that's what we're going to start to see soon is that people who are going to take advantage of everyday people that don't give a fuck and provide some type of use case that allows them to do something that they couldn't do before and then take a percentage of it. And like you see the big banks, like R3, um, a lot like a lot of the, the like big money in Bitcoin is trying to find mm -hmm. that application. I think that's currently what they're trying to do. They know that this is the underlying technology that's going to rewrite how the Internet works. They're just trying to find out where mm -hmm. they can fit in to make that money to the yeah. everyday user that doesn't give a fuck. If you say digital assets to an everyday person, they will say, what? Are you talking about World of Warcraft gold? And you're like, no. Yeah, no, but you I'm say not. it to them now, but if 20 years from now, that's going to be a common phrase. It's what I still don't think it will be a common be. phrase. You can say investment fund and mutual fund to an everyday person, and they won't know the difference. They'll be like, mm. Well, as we move forward in our society, it's going to be cashless. I think in the next 10 years, we're going to have a cashless society. Australia is creepy, man. Australia's getting rid of money completely. Other people like that's India got rid of like the larger notes. It's that they're they're trying to move to a completely digital currency backed cat like society. And people when it realize. comes to that, people are going to say, "Well, should I use the currency that checks every single move that I make and then tells me whether or not I can make that move, or the one that is completely agnostic to it?" Mm, I can't. I can't say in good conscience that I'm absolutely sure that 
if you took regulations away and you let the free market run wild, that everyone would be doing better and everyone would be happy and everyone would be living in a utopia. It makes sense that it would work, but I don't, I don't know. I don't. I think you're right, and we learned that mistake back in the the Great Depression, is when everything was deregulated and everything went to shit. Things are more heavily regulated. But I know how important it is to let the free market work, though. I just can't say in good conscience that I'm absolutely sure that if you took, you know, regulations away and let it run, it, it would be good. Here's, I don't here's, know. here's something that I, I don't think people quite understand, right? Say if you have, so we have this money. We'll just assume that this cryptocurrency that everyone uses is completely anonymous, right? That doesn't mean mm-hmm. that everything built on top of it is also completely anonymous. All it means is that the fundamental layer allows anonymity. But the mm-hmm. businesses that build on top of it still have to report to the government in the, com- in the country that they work in. And that means that they need to pull in additional sources of information so that they can then verify how much money they made so they can pay taxes so on and so forth. But it's mm-hmm. still a positive good that the foundational layer of the way money works is completely anonymous. If you want to use that business, if you want that that service, then you provide the information. You have the choice to provide that information. Mm-hmm. Whereas right now, you don't have a choice. You provide the information if you want to make a payment online. Yeah. You provide the information to get access. That's the main difference that's happening here is that now there's a choice because the foundational layer of how things work is currently pseudonymous and pushing towards anonymous. Mm. We so should build a product the companies, called the... Yeah, the companies will still be reporting and paying taxes and there's going to regulation along with how the companies work and how you move money in and out of that company. But it doesn't... It, it's, it's built on an infrastructure that doesn't require it so that people who still want to maintain anonymity and pseudonymity they can do that just by using the service itself like the underlying service itself you're saying those words so fast yeah. <laughs> sorry i have to say them fast so, I, then, I, so that it works because if i say i'm slow it just doesn't happen it sounds like shit <laughs> that's the only way i can say those words <laughs> um man we should invent a product called the personal data license that's what we should do does that make sense? It's like though? an internet. Yeah, it's an internet avatar that companies have to ask you for permission to use your data. That's what Uport is. Huh? That's exactly what Uport is trying to do. Somebody stole my fucking idea. Yeah, a lot Again? of people are trying to steal that idea. Shit, man. I have no original ideas. I think fried chicken skin is the only original idea I've ever had, and that's the blackest thing in the world. <laughs> And somebody stole that too, so that wasn't original either. Shit. <laughs> ideas left. Like Sounds like a fair taken. food. What about a backpack with one strap? No, nope. it's called a messenger Nike bag. Damn it! It's been done before. What about a purse for dudes? Damn it. Anyways, we're getting derailed here. Yeah, it's a shout it's out a... to the new Voltron live action movie. That's happening? If they're making it. Uh, hopefully, because Voltron was a large percentage of my childhood. So, Shout out um, to Donnie Yen in a Star Wars film. What the fuck? 
Yeah, I know. Who's Donnie Yen? And how dare you? Yeah, man. Anyway, who's Donnie Yen? Eatmon, isn't it? Isn't it Eatmon? Uh, it man, I guess. Oh, the, yeah. the, the Asian guy in Star Blade Wars too. Yeah, he's been in a lot of movies for a long time. He's a really popular. He's like, I don't know. What would you say, Cello? Like, you know how Jackie Chan was super popular overseas, and then he, we didn't find out about him here in the states until like the mid '90s. Yeah, kind of thing. It's kind of like that. That's who Don Yen is for now. Time. Well, he was in Blade too, and then like he was like, you know what? I, they didn't give me any lines, so I'm gonna go back to Asia and be a big star. Yeah. <laughs> in Blade 2, he was the Asian guy with the sword who, like... <laughs> you know what I'm trying to do? The vampire, yeah. like, puts claws in his back. And yeah. his... <laughs> we can see anyway. you trying to do this. <laughs> yeah, visualizing. Um, All right, let's move into the, the interview. Back. Yeah, let's get into yeah. it. Um, Shout out to Amy Adams as well. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a new podcast. Um where you come on and you say that great movies are not great, and then we talk about how bad your opinions are. Mm, Let's start that right. next week. Yeah, right. that's a good right. I'll, I'll be a part of that podcast to just tell, <laughs> to tear D we down. Just, just do one special one a week. Like this, in this episode, D hates on Mad Max, even though I don't know. Demetrius shits on Gone with the Wind and Citizen Kane in the special two-part podcast. Fuck those movies. Cinematography yeah, shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was no bullet time there was no bullet time camera motion movie started when the Wachowski brothers picked up a camera as far as I'm concerned the Wachowski siblings my friend you gotta be, you know, oh yeah I gotta be PC about it one of those dudes is a chick now so. I think both of them are now no, I don't know really that I is pushing so. the envelope <laughs> alright um, <laughs> uh, where am I at? oh yeah Hold on. You guys hear that? <laughs> yeah, we hear yeah. kids. <laughs> we hear your kids for sure. All right. Hoping you wouldn't. All right. So uh, today we are talking with Arc. They're launching their own blockchain, which aims to be a bridge between other blockchains, such as, of course, Bitcoin, Lisk. Uh, we've talked about Lisk plenty, Ethereum, etc. And it's aiming to help make the adoption process move even faster by allowing users to use multiple blockchains in only one place. And we have the managing director, Mike Doty, who, uh, who has mastered the fine art and discipline of engineering the male facial form with his majestic beard that flows through the halls of Asgard. <laughs> Let's get him on the show. All right. Here it is. All right, so first thing first, um, we we want to know a little bit about you and uh, Arc.io, Mike. So if you could please, you know, just give us a small introduction, uh, you know, who you are and how you represent Arc.io and what is Arc.io for our listeners who are not familiar. Okay, well, I'm uh, Mike Doty. I'm the managing director for the Arc project. Arc.io, and we are creating a new delegated proof of stake blockchain, and it is used to bridge other chains. So we include a vendor field, which the other blockchains can use to store data and listen for data 
in that field, and then they can respond to that data by reading, writing new information to it. So it has a lot of different use cases. So either existing blockchains can add the ARC code in order to interface with the uh, main ARC chain and can then communicate with other chains that are also bridged, or they can listen for inputs by users on the ARC chain and respond to them by taking an action. We call those listeners. So the name of this technology is Smart Bridge and the use cases can be uh, many different kinds of chains, whatever you want to put on it. So do I have, say, an index coin? That might be a basket of cryptocurrencies. So we can have a chain for that. We can use uh, another chain for streaming VR, um, gaming, uh, many different uses, and also can tie into Ethereum, other well-known chains that wish to connect to it, or access it via their smart contract system. We are based on the uh, list code but we're making some changes to it in order to improve the transaction volume and also reduce the latency of the network and have uh, reduced block times. So we're using what is known as practical Byzantine fault tolerance in order to reduce the number of forks that can occur in the chain. And we're using that so that with the delegates in the DPoS system, that they are pre-approved to reserve their spot for forging. And for your listeners, if you're not familiar with delegated proof of stake, the way it works is that you have a group of nodes, they're called delegates, which create the blocks in the blockchain. In our case, we have 51 of them, and they are voted on by the uh, stakeholders so according to how much ARC you have in an account, that is how many votes it has in order to vote for the delegates that secure the blockchain. And the difference we are doing from LISC, LISC also has a similar system, but they have 101 delegates and also one LISC can vote for up to 101 delegates. So it could essentially represent 101 votes. And with ARC, we are making it more like a conventional voting system where one list could be voted for one delegate and that delegate would receive the full vote from that one list. Or if you vote for two delegates, that one list, that one arc gets divided into um, half an arc for each of those two delegates, and so on up to, say, if you vote for uh, 51 delegates, then that one arc is divided into 151st, 151th of a vote, or about 0.02 votes per delegate. And again, that's different from LISC, where that one LISC gets a full vote 
a one list for each of the 101 delegates if it chooses that many. And we're doing this because we found with the um, um, other DPoS voting systems, and it's similar in BitShares, and we did that in Crypti, and now they're doing it in LISC, is that the problem is that you can have a group or even one large holder of LISC could take over the whole delegate system. Whereas the way we're doing it is in order to vote for all of the delegates, someone would have to buy all of the ARC. So we feel that this method divides it up and it promotes decentralization by preventing one large stakeholder or a group of stakeholders from forming a cartel in order to take over all the delegates. So what about, um, why 51? Like, why is 51 delegates the magic number? We went down, um, originally BitShares did the research and they determined that 101 was an optimum number. So there's enough delegates for decentralization, but not so many that, that none of the delegates earn enough income from transaction fees or forging rewards to make it worthwhile to run a delegate. Now we're reducing it to 51 because that's still plenty for the decentralization, but it also allows the network to run faster so that we can get better performance by having fewer delegates. And also we're reducing the block rewards. So the delegates, they aren't earning quite as much per block, but they're forging more blocks in order to make up for it because we're going to a shorter block time. So, and that way it balances out. Hmm. Interesting. Can there, can there ever be more? Can that ever change, or is that like hard coded in there that there's only ever going to be 51 it delegates? Hard coded in there. If it's felt that we need to have more delegates, we can always change it and add more as an option later down the road. Mm -hmm. But really, we're designed for uh, performance and also to um, be able to handle a larger transaction volume. Now, the other thing we're doing in order to in increase the uh, reduced latency and have faster block times is what is known as forging from uncles. And that is where if a delegate doesn't have a current block in its, uh, the, like the most recent block in its blockchain, it can essentially borrow one from that's already been created, but it hasn't been approved yet and and use that in the blockchain and forge on top of it and then later on as the consensus approves that previous block and makes it official then it gets added to the blockchain as well so it kind of it, it enables the delegates the notes to um, continue to forge and not be hung up or waiting for a previous block to be completely added. I see. Do you, so you mentioned that the actual technology involved here is something called a smart bridge. 
how does that because in the past uh the crypto community has dealt with a thing called a side chain and how does how does a smart bridge differ from a side chain right so a side chain is a uh, pegged transaction that's like a two-way transaction between the main chain and the side chain and what we're doing with a smart bridge is that once it's entered into the block and, and entered into the main blockchain that it's indelible it doesn't get changed so it, a new transaction can be added so we're not essentially like not making payments to and from the side chains as much it's more like what we're doing is just using it to store data and secure the side chains instead mm. see so it is it's a little different from the side chains that we are having but it is very similar it's very similar in nature the other main difference is with the smart bridge is that we've added this vendor field so that it can store data that's written from the side chain onto the main chain. And we found that was causing a problem with the uh, with a list that it added a lot of complexity of the code. They have something that's known as of blockchain applications that run on the side chains and that's why we still feel this will be a very viable and useful system but it'll take them a while to bring in the full functionality of their version of the side chains so we've removed a lot of that in order to have a leaner faster code for this more specialized application i see so what is it that um, you said that ARC is a, is a perf performance chain? You know, what is it that, um, you know, allow, that, that gives it that edge? You know, if I'm using Bitcoin blockchain or I'm using the Ethereum blockchain, what's going to be the advantage to me uh, to use the ARC blockchain as a smart bridge? What kind of functionality is offered? What kind of, I guess, performance enhancement if you could say, um, is added to those other blockchains? So for one thing, it gives a means to tie them all together. Mm -hmm. So that information can be transmitted from one chain to another via the smart bridge, the vendor data field. So data that is the R chain to, from one of the side chains can be read by the other chain and mm. back and forth. The other thing is that we're um, adding IPFS for distributed storage. Oh, wow. Under field store an address to data that's stored distributed storage network. So side chain can also access data and store it and read it safe ipfs for instance is very good for streaming video so the side chain that's used for vr streaming or gaming for instance can access data via the main chain 
and using that address in order to retrieve the data from it. Mm. Um, we are also adding IPDB, which is stands for Interplanetary Database. Database. So that also not only to read data stored, but also to um, read and write to a distributed database. I see. As well. So it sounds like the ARC is literally that. It's the ARC. So if I want, say, the security of Bitcoin, but maybe the functionality of Ethereum doing a smart contract, or dare I say some sort of like autonomous, you know, contract, then I could do that. And that that's not possible because of ARC. Right, exactly. Another advantage is that, for instance, with Ethereum, it's very centralized, and it, it if you want, uh, decentralization, and your code in the contract is fairly simple. And so, for like a simple contract, like for instance, determining how to make payments based on an event. It's very good, but it's more expensive to run because every contact track has to run on every node in the network. So with these side chains, instead, if you have your application running on a side chain, you can run it for a lot lower cost on fewer numbers of servers or delegates and then access that as well. So it, by removing a lot of that processing off of the main chain and pre it prevents blockchain bloat and it reduces your costs. The other thing is that we can also secure the side chains and provide consensus as a service and that your side chain, for instance, can create a hash and then store it in the smart bridge vendor field and then periodically check back when it adds a new block to compare the previous chain and make sure that the hash matches what's stored in the its vendor field on the uh, main ARC chain. So it, pre, it provides an extra layer of security by providing this consensus. We say that can be very useful, say, for enterprise or personal IOT chains or a smaller system that doesn't want to run a whole set of delegates and but still wants to have some blockchain functionality that we can secure those types of applications. Wow. It sounds hmm. it sounds like Arc is gonna kinda open the door for lots of possibilities. Um and do you feel like some of those possibilities would be staunched by maybe a core Bitcoin or blockchain community that isn't too, I guess, trusting of uh, proof of stake or delegated proof of stake? Do you think that maybe some people will be turned off by that? And they're like, you know, because there's a lot of people out there. They're like, oh, it's not proof of work. I don't like it. I'm not going to go for it. Right, and that's typical in any industry that 
not everyone is going to like every offering or product <laughs> in that field. Yeah. yeah, you have to go niche. Um, knowing if you try to be everything for everybody, then you're not going to really succeed in pleasing anyone. So, I like that. So we, yeah, there are people that prefer um, the proof of work. And we might serve as a bridge from some of those chains to other chains as a, a more of a fast means of decentralized communication. But we wouldn't expect them to want to use us to secure their chains. We, we could, we, one service we can offer is a problem they have with proof of work altcoins is that often there'll be a hostile attack on them, a 51% attack. And because they're very small and don't have that much hash power running on them, that as a backup, they could still store their um, hash code on in our vendor field and then use that as a means to secure themselves against that type of an attack as a backup. But mm. my guess is probably as you observe that those who are really committed to the uh, proof of work are likely not to be that interested in using a proof of stake chain as a, you know, security backup but yeah the option is there if they like to use it yeah that's very true give people options you, right. um, so i guess take it back taking it back to the origins of arc and your team there what what were some of the first motivations to start building arc well we first started as a delegates group on Lisp. So yeah, it's been a very interesting story actually how we we that first met each other. Give us the and, origin um, story. <laughs> yeah. So we met as um yeah, we we're all um community members of Lisp who wanted to run delegates. And so one of the people who had been around since um Crypty and then um, Crypty uh, moved over into Lisk. That he organized the um, delegates. Some of them. Uh, there was a lot of different people showing up, and there was a concern that some of them might be actually running multiple delegates under the same name, you know, so-called sock puppets. So um, this guy's name was Mal 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 Reynolds. This is pseudonym on the LISC community, he then organized this group by going through and comparing a lot of the delegates to um, Bitcoin talk usernames and vetting them to make sure they had already had um, accounts on Bitcoin talk that had been around for a while. So that knowing that they would be real people and not like new accounts just set up just to create more delegates to try to run multiple delegates on the, on the LISC network. And because of the way the LISC voting is set up, 
it did enable vote swapping. And that's one of the advantages of their system is that it does encourage community building and a lot of interaction among members is that as people swap votes and make agreements amongst themselves to uh, try to gain more voting weight in order to advance their rank in the delegate selections, it encourages a lot of people to get to know each other and interact. So that's where this group eventually formed. And there was around um, 97 of us total. But then the forging was delayed on LISC for quite a while due to technical issues. So a group of us then decided to try launching a new coin that could achieve the goals sooner. So it'd be a simpler, leaner coin while waiting for LISC to finish developing the rest of its capabilities. And also a very good developer from our group. He went to work with LISC for a while on their team and then he left and we had already um, made our contributions to fund the creation of a desktop wallet for LISC. And he did a very nice job on that. So since he's very good with the uh, blockchain development and already created this wallet and he was interested in launching a new coin, we all decided to join with him and we created the uh, ARC group, the ARC team, which we've been using since, we've been working since then to launch this new product. Nice. That's well. It's, it's, it's always kind of neat to see how these budding projects actually begin. Just in my opinion, I always like to know, you know, what were the motivations behind what what led to? Okay, well, let's just make our own thing. You know that moment, and I always I always find that kind of kind of interesting. So, so you're well. I see the ARC token exchange is underway, um, and it seems to be unreasonably successful. So when is the official like, hey, we made it? When do you guys get to start celebrating? So when we reach a total of 2,000 Bitcoin, and we're currently accepting both LISC and Bitcoin, so sometimes the value shifts due to the market conditions between the Bitcoin and the LISC. Yeah, we could celebrate when we hit 2,000 Bitcoin. We're between 75 and 80% of the way there currently, and we have several more weeks in the campaign. So right now is sort of that middle period in, you know, in the token exchange where it's after the initial rush, rush because of the higher bonuses and leading up to the end when people tend to want to join in after they've had a chance to look at the project and the team and how we perform. So we're very close and getting closer, a little closer every day. And. We also have some more developments and updates we'll be rolling out over the next few weeks. First is we'll be launching Testnet. 
the the test net is already performing very very well. What we have we have the uh, PBFT. That's the initials for the practical Byzantine fault tolerance is running. And let's say uh, we've also added a, a self-healing feature that instead of nodes having to rebuild whenever a block a bad block gets into a blockchain and it corrupts the whole thing, that we're able to roll back a few blocks until we uh, to get to the most recent valid block that's not on a fork and then able to add the approved blocks back into the chain so that has cut down on the forking considerably and improved the performance so it's keeping the delegates up quite a bit longer a lot better uptime so we've run it through some stress testing for high volume transactions so uh, mm -hmm. Right now, um, the developer, uh, Francois, is his name. Francois Xavier Florence. He's from France. And this guy is a genius. I mean, I've seen him. He comes up with a new idea. And within hours, it's running on testnet. That's how fast he is. Wow. You know, turn things around. And he's also building the new desktop wallet is based on the uh, Lisk desktop wallet that he built, but this new one is rebranded and has some changes specifically for Arc. So that should be ready in a few days, and then we'll be ready to announce and launch testnet. And along with a testnet, that's where we'll be explaining how the voting system works and how to set up the delegates so that the community can start setting up their own delegates and organizing to receive votes. I see. And there's um, and the idea with this voting too, there's several options that community members can use to uh, gather enough votes to make it into those, those uh, 51 delegates. So of course the most obvious one is to buy enough of the ARC token that they guarantee themselves a spot. But other options is they can profit share where they return a portion of the proceeds that they earn from the forging to those who vote for them. They can also potentially do a project and offer those who vote for them a share in that a stake in that project. So it's an interesting method of crowdfunding because it doesn't require the voters to actually send any funds to someone to fund a project. All they have to do is vote for them. And mm. then the delegate earnings receiving those votes can then use that to fund his project. And then a third way is through some sort of a community service. There's many, many things that people are used to receiving for free on the internet, but they're not decentralized. They're inside of these kind of corporate silos, whether it's, um, you know, social media like Facebook, Twitter, or um, Google searches and Drive that 
a lot of these things could be provided for free by a delegate instead on his own distributed bridged chain, for instance, IPFS or a database system. And then so he can receive votes by providing the service for free that people want to use. And I see. Delegate earnings to fund his project. So. So yeah. are these delegates, I mean, are they known? Is it public? Like, hey, this guy's a delegate. This person's a delegate. Or is it kind of anonymous? Yeah, so they're known, usually in the community, they they can choose to provide their actual identities if they want, or they can run under, under a pseudonym if by posting their chosen name on the network. For one thing, when you register as a delegate on the ARC network, you also enter a name that you want to call that delegate. And then that is entered permanently in the blockchain and no one else can use that name ever after. And then they can campaign or organize to receive votes um, so that people, when they, when stakeholders decide to vote, they'll see that name on the list of delegates that shows up in the ARC wallet. And then they select those delegates they want to vote for. Now, if they want, they can publish their real names and information and IDs on their own website or in a forum so that people can actually see who they really are. Yes, that's see. totally up, up to the individual that's running as a delegate. And then just so I can get a better understanding here for how the flow works is that if you're a participant in the ARC network, your votes go to these delegates and the delegates then in turn vote to decide what goes on the blockchain, right? Am I right about that or am I off? Right, it's, yeah, it's similar, right? The Well, the delegates, they forge the blocks and that's, that's kind of a proof of stake term. It, it originates from NXT. Uh, instead of calling it mining, it's called forging. I but see. it's the same thing where the network receives the transactions and then approves them, validates them, and then they go get bundled into blocks and they're added to the blockchain. So the delegates, they're all automatically, that's what the code does with this, like, with the consensus system is it receives the transactions, stores them in the block. The other thing that we're different from other delegated proof of stake systems is that we're adding relay nodes attached to the delegates. And these relay nodes are actually what interface to the rest of the network, the wallets and everything else. And it acts as sort of a firewall between the delegate consensus system and the outside world, all the wallets that are connecting to it. And that makes this much more scalable that instead of a delegates themselves having to handle all the these uh, transaction volumes and connections, 
from other, say, full blockchain nodes and wallets everywhere with their associated latencies that they collect all that and then that's served and connected and fed into the delegate themselves. So the delegate operator, they run both a delegate and the attached relay nodes that's connected to the delegate. I see. So if you when you you hinted at scaling there and I guess the the big scaling, you know, metric I guess that most people are most familiar with is transactions per second. How does this arc have like how how does arc have a projected transaction per second? Is it even is his performance even measured in transactions per second? Like how would how does arc scale, I guess? Right, so yes, it does have um, transactions per second and on our test network we have tested it up to two hundred transactions per second with a self healing network it's been able to handle the load. So Wow. Not better than what I'm used to in my little Bitcoin world. So <laughs> Right, yes. And so we did see some nodes having to re you know, do the rollback and recover more often with that. But it was working. So we did some serious stress testing on this. So we don't want to see that right away in real world conditions right now. <laughs> you know, but work your way there. Yeah, the uh, refinements, but it, yeah, it's looking good there right now. That's good. Sounds like a very promising um, position and a very promising niche that you found at Arc.io. I mean, uh, I remember what, it was like three years ago now, maybe maybe not three, maybe two, when I first read about side chains and what they offered, and now I'm just wondering, maybe like once every other month, are these even a thing? Are they ever gonna happen? And I don't know. As far as what I've seen, I haven't seen a lot. But, um, yeah, uh, it does look very promising. And uh, I hope for our listeners, they go out and do a little bit of research about ARC.io and, and what's going on and, and how to participate in the exchange. Um, yeah, in fact, would you want to provide a little bit of, like, if you could do, like, five bullet points as to how our listeners could participate in the exchange? What's their step-by-step process? Okay, well, our main website is arc.io. Yeah, there you'll find information on the site. And then the token exchange campaign is TEC, that's Tango Echo Charlie, dot arc, that's A-R-K, dot I-O. And there you'll find the instructions and you log in you create a, uh, you enter your email and enter a password and you receive a confirmation email and that creates your account on the tec.arc.io site. And there, from there, you'll have two options where you can either send Bitcoin or Lisk. And so you click on the button 
through each one and then it presents you an address and then if you click on that button that has the address then it automatically copies it to the clipboard on your computer your desktop and from there then you would go to your wallet and you can just paste that address right into the send field from your wallet then enter the amount of LISC or Bitcoin that you'd like to send. Now, it is possible to send it from an exchange, but there has been problems, especially with LISC, with the exchanges, with the, um, the transactions getting delayed. So it's really the best thing to do is to download and install the um, either the LISC desktop wallet or use your own Bitcoin wallet. And then first withdraw from an exchange to your own wallet and then send from that wallet to the TEC site. The other important thing is that when you do a transaction, you only wanna use that address that's presented by the TEC site once. And then if you're going to do a second send with more funds, then you want to click. It'll, it'll first, it'll say receiving. And then when it's confirmed, then it'll let you click on that button again to give you a new address to send to. So that's an important thing to remember. If you do two sends to an address, it's okay. It just means that the transactions have to be manually processed after that first transaction. So that can be a problem. A lot of people are probably used to first doing a small test transaction and then following up with the main large transaction. And in this case, that means that second large transaction would need to be manually processed. So it is best just to collect that address by clicking on the button and then using that in your wallet and just sending it once. Gotcha. Well, we can wrap it up here, but I always like to ask our guests question. Tough question. Sometimes it's tough, sometimes it's not. Most times it's tough, though. So I don't want to build it up. But <laughs> that question is, in 10 words or less, can you describe ARC? ARC is a bridged blockchain system to connect other chains so that they may communicate with each other. Very close. Very close. You're only five words off. Huh. Five words over? Just five words over. Oh, okay. But it is pass or fail, so no. <laughs> I'm messing with you. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for stopping by and um, and being so informative and letting us know what it is exactly ARC.io is attempting to do, which is something that has needed to happen in this space for a very long time. So. Yes, and that's why we like to get it moving. Like you said, we've been hearing about side chains for quite a while. Blockstream has been working on them for several years. 
and they always seem to be close and you know about to be added to bitcoin but it just hasn't quite happened and really they are the heart of scalability and what i envision is a nested chain of chains an internet of chains where not only do you have side chains but even those side chains can have other branches off of them and that's how you we have scalability that instead of having one huge master chain which gets bloated and is very prone to a single point of failure that instead you have different applications all running on their own chains but able to communicate to each other through this whole system absolutely well thank you very much mike for stopping by the bitcoin podcast giving us a little bit of your time i appreciate it and uh we sure are going to let our listeners know how to participate and how to be involved with it because i talked about side chains very passionately like i don't know three months ago and just like the same passion of side chains within the greater community it just kind of died off but i'm glad there's uh good earnest work going on with it and so thank you very much all right and we're here to deliver on that promise of side chains yeah. Thank you. Please, um, anytime you want us to have updates, we'd be happy to come back. Oh, yeah. There's always an open invitation here. You can come back anytime. Talk about sidechains all day. <laughs> all right. I appreciate that. Thanks. Uh, all right, Mike. Have a good one. Thanks a lot, Dimitri. I'll talk to you later. And that was the interview with Mike Toady, the Century of Asgard, Guardian of All Humanity. And he also represents Arc.io, the side chain, or actually not the side chain. Uh, they're calling it a bridge, right, uh, between networks. Uh, so that ne- essentially it's going to have the no. functionality. Of you know, it's 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 a so, step in the right direction, in which I think. The entire crypto community will go, and that's this kind of interoperability. Whoever creates that platform in which any blockchain can talk to any other blockchain through this underlying entity allows for Mm -hmm. like whatever you want to do. That's a big W. Yeah, that's going to be the winner, winner, chicken dinner, if you will. And the first, the first, I guess, entity that can do that, do successfully, they're the winners. So, if you want to be a part of that ARC network, hop on over to ARC.io and uh, be a part of their ICO or their coin exchange. And you can transfer some of your Bitcoin or your LISC um, and get some ARC. Throw your money at it and you might make some more money. Yep. Maybe. We're not a possibility of money to be made. We're just three guys. So moving on. So one thing that we like to to focus on quite a bit here with the show, you guys know we harp on it quite a lot. What is that, Corey? Adoption. The only thing that matters. Adoption. That's right. Because every single metric you can go off of to gauge the performance of whatever you believe crypto shooters should not be doing, the main one you should look at 
is user adoption, right? Well, in a recent article by a place that probably isn't biased at all to cryptocurrency news, CryptoHustle.com. <laughs> what we have are several charts from these you can find on blockchain.info of the actual increase in adoption globally. And they've also got some charts here from localbitcoins.com. But these are real stats. And stats don't lie unless somehow these stats are being fibbed. Some crazy conspiracy to make Bitcoin look great. But I don't feel like that's the thing. I feel like general organic user adoption is occurring. And you can go through the charts and I'll just lead off the, read off the places. Russia, adoption increasing. India, increasing. Japan, increasing. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get all racist. <laughs> I was so involuntary. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Venezuela, increasing. China, increasing. See, I didn't get all racist on China, but I got racist on Japan. That's weird. China, China, increasing. The number of wa wallet users on blockchain.info, increasing. Market capitalization increasing. All of these metrics increasing that all say adoption is increasing, right? Now we just need the institutional guys to get on board. Like, well, what are they tripping? Here's the thing. You that, think they're trying? Here's the thing that I that I like. So like, whenever you I hear about this stuff, I immediately, I'm a cynic, right? I immediately mm. look for holes and why this could be misleading, or the conclusions drawn aren't necessarily true. And so as one user of the Bitcoin network, I can create as many identities as I'd like, which means I can just start creating addresses. In fact, we recommend that people create one address per use on the Bitcoin network, right? You but generate a new private a new public wallet. key every time you do a new transaction on the Bitcoin network. So I, mm -hmm. if I wanted to, I could just start spamming. I could just start creating all kinds of new transactions or new addresses or new wallets. Yeah. What, what does true. it mean? Like, what is, out, of, out of these metrics that you're seeing here, which one can we take from to say these are new humans coming on the network because they've just started learning about Bitcoin? Hmm. That's a great question, scientist. And, and you have, have to, to say, like, how do you it know? It has to be volume, but we have you, bots. We have bots doing new things. We have new companies doing a lot of different transactions all at once. And these, and as these companies maybe interact with other Bitcoin so you, companies, get larger or like create new connections within the Bitcoin network, they do more transactions amongst themselves which doesn't necessarily mean new users. It just means new connections. Mm -hmm. well, how do, so ultimately, I, you're saying there could exist a reality where all these different companies are s sparking up these different wallets and making it seem like adoption is growing? No. Uh, all, the shady, all the shady things that people do on the web, they take Bitcoin now. Private... Private tracker donations, seed boxes, streaming sites, offshore sports betting. Now, I, I believe. I believe that Bitcoin is growing, and that its awareness is definitely growing because 
the difficulty of me explaining Bitcoin to people now, as opposed to a year from now or two or three or four years from now ago, ago is drastic. It's so much easier for me to explain what I do, what Bitcoin is, and so on and so forth. But we have That's to true. look at these metrics and see whether or not this is due to new people who have never heard about Bitcoin coming on the network and trying things out, or the current network just creating more and more connections amongst itself. So like the web gets more dense as opposed to growing larger. Wait, so the same set of people doing the same thing with Bitcoin over the years, like all decided to increase their daily transactions at not, not necessarily at exponential rates. So like all it means is that so you have we'll, we'll talk about the brain and neurons, right? So you know that whenever you learn something new, you create new neuron connections, new synaptic connections in your brain, which makes a new like which increases the way you're like the number of connections your brain has with the different neurons in your brain. You have to make new pathways mm -hmm. that allow for new electrons to flow within the neurons in your brain. If you think about the Bitcoin network in terms of a brain, as time progresses and you create these, uh, like these software companies get more complex, they start making new connections with other companies inside of the Bitcoin network and doing business inside the Bitcoin network, which corresponds to new transactions. And so we see greater and greater and greater transactions grow just because the companies inside the network is growing. So the whole Bitcoin network may not be growing so fast because only the companies inside the network are just talking amongst themselves in a much more efficient way. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I'll, I'll, I'll admit, Bitcoin's growing. People are coming on, but maybe not at the rate that everyone may think it is. And so when you look at these metrics that talk about new transactions, new user accounts, like all this types of stuff, you have to kind of take it as a grain of salt because these other things might be playing a role as well. Does that make sense? Okay. Well, I'm looking at the data and none of it has anything to do with user adoption. All right. What does it have to do with? I mean, like, I guess the counter argument to court, what Corey's saying is the same core set of people could very well account for all of that. How many of you uh, listeners, uh, Corey D, do you create a new wallet for every transaction? And no, trading volume. Don't. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They don't. And trading volume has more to do with no fee trades than anything else. Well, HD wallets will create a new Bitcoin address every time you do a Bitcoin transaction. But it's not going to make a new wallet, it just makes a new address. Well, to the network, it doesn't understand that. All it sees is a Bitcoin address. Now, the, the private key associated with that address is typically involved with a single wallet. But a single wallet has control of many, many, many addresses. So yeah, to the Bitcoin network, it just looks wallets. like more addresses are being created. So if you were just, if, if, if all the wallets turn into HD wallets, if you look at it from a naive point of view, it looks like the number of addresses coming onto the Bitcoin network grows exponentially. But it's just people are adopting the HD wallet structure. So you could falsely assume that people are adopting Bitcoin because everyone's just adopting to hierarchical deterministic wallet structure. And that'd be wrong. 
and that may be yeah. played in. How many, how many people jumped in during the bubble, sold, and then backed out, and then lost interest, and then when they realized that Bitcoin wasn't going away, they came back? These are all great questions that I don't know there's data to support that. I think <clears throat> I think that's why when you say user adoption, it's really hard to measure. It's not like something that's easy to measure, you, like the automobile. It's clear to see. It was clear to see back in like the 50s and the 60s, like, oh, this is turning into a thing. Hell, probably before that, probably like 30s, 20s. This is turning into a thing. More people have those giant automobiles. So, but this is a little bit different. Like you said, Corey, you can't just say that because if everybody were adopted in hierarchical deterministic wallets, but shouldn't there be a statistic that says the adoption of hierarchical deterministic wallets? Well, from, sure from, from a node's is... perspective, it wouldn't know the difference. So the question is, what questions can we ask that actually have to do with user adoption? I would say yeah. the number of businesses that accept Bitcoin, that's a good metric because it's okay. literally the number of companies that are accepting Bitcoin. There is no way to artificially scale that number. The Okay, that's a good metric. So like transaction volume can be somewhat artificially inflated. It, 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 it plays a role in the fact that there are too many people on the network that want to exchange money than the network can currently handle. That's good because it means the network needs to grow and that it has a use, right? People want to use the network regardless of whatever that use is or what companies are using it. It has mm -hmm. a use and people want to use it and are willing to pay for it. That's good. The network needs to grow. But if you want to say that more people are coming onto the network, then you need better metrics to do so. So should we say a crypto hustle, do more homework? Well, no, it's just you need to think about, I think it, it, be, it needs to be thought about more about what we just talked about when you look at those numbers so that when you're looking at it, you're at least thinking about whether or not this is a good number or like what, what type of phenomenon come into play to make this number that you're seeing. It's not just like... More addresses, more users. It's not that simple. There's a deeper story to it. And when you look at the numbers, regardless of what someone's trying to tell you, you need to ask those questions yourself and see if that's if that's true. Okay. The market capitalization has grown, though. That's a thing. Well, that's, 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 that's thing. because people want to use the network. It's worthwhile. And because of that, it grows in worth. Like it's a, it's a matter of like that. I think the market cap is a pretty good metric because I wouldn't say it's a metric for more users. It's a metric for how valuable you see the network. So if people want to use the network and there's a use case for it and there's a limited amount in which you could use it, so there's scarcity, then the price automatically grows because if there's a limited amount and more and more people want to try and get at that limited amount, then the value of that limited amount grows. That's what supply mm -hmm. and demand is at its natural form, right? Yeah. And that's what yep. we're seeing. That's growing. 
Yeah, I guess it's slow and steady wins the race with these things. Fuck yeah, Bitcoin. Slow and steady. Fuck yeah, Bitcoin. Uh... And blockchain. Yeah. <laughs> Ophelia agrees. Dirty pop. All right. <laughs> Why you want to try a classified type music? We do. Am I the only one that knows the lyrics to that? Or I think so. You guys needed to watch more TRL, it seems. But anyways, <clears throat> we're going to wrap this up. Uh, shout out to Zoe Saldana, Amy Adams, of course, and uh, Carrie Hilson. Not Cherry Hilson, but Carrie Hilson. Um, shout out to Corey's box of trail mix that he found. Hey, I think you should keep it realistic. Um, shout out to Viola Davis and Angela Bassett. <laughs> what is that supposed to mean i was trying to chew that trail mix not, so quietly not everybody has to be a hottie how about you know wife material My well wife's viola hot. davis and angela bassett are hotties you well, yeah perhaps <laughs> we're on itunes perhaps. we're on stitcher perhaps yeah we're on itunes we're on stitcher uh, um, I'm trying to wrap my head around that. Perhaps that's such a, such a powerful perhaps. Uh, <laughs> um, go give us a five star rating. Give us a five star rating. We'll give you the five star content. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving again. I'm sure we said that before, but we've done a lot of stuff around Thanksgiving, so it still feels like that holiday. Um, what 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 else do we do? We've got Twitter, a blog. Facebook. Twitter, Facebook. We're out there. Oh, yeah. We have an affiliation program with Purse.io. If you go to our landing page, the sidebar, you'll see a Purse.io sticker. Click on that. Make a profile. Yeah. You're going to save a and bunch we, of money. We want a percentage of that money. So sign up through us. Yeah. That's we can buy how that stuff. works. You buy a bunch of shit, you save a bunch of money. We want a percentage of it. Yep. And yeah, so I guess uh, thank you guys for listening. It's been a fun ride. And it's going to continue to be a fun ride. Holla, holla. Play.